theyeshiva.net. Today's class is dedicated by my dear friend, one of the pillars of our community here, Reb Shalom Potash, in loving memory and tribute to his great father, Reb Yaakov, Ben, Reb Chanoi Chenech, and Ben Esther, Yankel Potash, Schusa Yogan Aleinu, whose yard site is today, the fourth day of Adar, Dalar Adar. Reb Yaakov, Reb Yankel Potash, was a Jew whose life was dedicated to Torah, Avoida, Gemilas Chasadim. In fact, a little interesting piece of Jewish history that his son just shared with me this week, I did not know. Rabbi Yomtev Erlich was a unique talent, a special talent with his Yiddish songs and, and poems. And one of his legendary songs is called Yaakov, you remember? Yaakov, Yaakov. It's one of his classic. It's, it's an extraordinary song. It begins in Uzbekistan about this young Jewish lad who escapes to Uzbekistan and he's driving a tractor, he's a beautiful composer and uh, they want to force him to marry out and he, he flees. It's a very powerful song. Rabbi Yomtev Erlich composed it, and it's called Yaakov. Who was it about? It sounds like an authentic story. So just this week I found out it was written about Rabbi Yankel Potash. And Yomtev Erlich sung, sang this song at Yankel Potash's wedding in Paris. After the war, he sang this song. He composed the song in honor of the wedding of this boy with whom this story happened. If you don't know the song, you can check it out. Yaakov, Yomtev Erlich. It's sung today by Avram Fried and other singers, uh, uh, very beautiful renditions. Uh, there's uh, something genius about the song. The lyrics, the music, the tunes, the flux from one extreme to another extreme. So that's, that's his, his yard site is today. Today's class is also dedicated the unforgettable Jerry Simon in honor of his yard site, Reb Yitzchak Yaakov B'Reb Moshe. And I want to thank his daughter, Cyril Goldman, and the entire family for dedicating this class. La'ilu Nishmas, Reb Yitzchak Yaakov Simon, the famous Brooklyn caterer and beloved friend to many, Reb Jerry Simon. Zechreina Levrocha, Tehei Nishmasam Tzura B'Tzur HaChayim. So, Let's begin. Let's begin a piece of Gemara, Brachas, Daf Lamed Hey, Amud Aleph. Okay, follow with me. We're going to be learning two sources inside, and then a commentary of the Svasemes on Parshas Truma. Zog the Gemara. Source number one, you see it. If you didn't open your source sheets, please open your source sheets on theyeshiva.net. You can see the source sheets for this class. The rabbis taught It is forbidden that a person should enjoy food or drinks of this world, anything of this world, without a blessing, without expressing gratitude. That's why the sages instructed that before I eat an apple or before I eat a plum or a peach or a grape, before I drink a cup of wine or a glass of orange juice or tea or coffee, I make a blessing. 
If somebody enjoys this world without a blessing, without expressing a gratitude to the Rebbeinu Shalom to Hashem, this is a form of me'ilah. Me'ilah is a concept in Jewish law, which means when I misuse property that belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. If I go to the Beis HaMikdash and I take an animal or I take any property that belongs to the Holy Temple and I use it for my personal use, I didn't redeem it. This is called me'ilah. It's basically stealing property from the Holy Temple and misusing it for the wrong thing. So he says, if you take something from this world, you take an apple off the tree, pluck an orange and you eat it, this is called me'ilah. Why? Why? Because it's the property of Hashem. As the Gemara, as Rashi says, the Gemara will explain. said in the name of Shmuel. Somebody who enjoys benefits from something of this world without a blessing, it's as though this person benefited from that which is sacred to heaven. Kachi Shemaya means those things that have been designated for heaven, meaning they are holy objects or holy animals or holy items that belong to the holy temple, the Beis Hamikdash, and you are benefiting from it without permission. Shenema, why? It's part of this world. I was placed here on this world. I have to eat. I use the oxygen of the world. I drink the water. Shenema, the Pasuk says in Tehillim. Chapter 24, we say it every Sunday, The whole earth, the whole planet, and everything inside of it belongs to its creator, Hashem. If it belongs to Hashem, it's part of the Beis HaMikdash, it's part of God's property, it's like property of the Beis HaMikdash, the whole world is part of God's property. I'm taking it without a blessing, that's Me'ilah, that's taking from Kachi Shemayim. Reblevi Rami. Reblevi asked and posed the following contradiction. I have a problem. Ksiv, one verse in Torah and Tehillim, Psalms 24 says, Lashem The whole world belongs to God. Uksiv, but in the same very, in the very same book of scriptures of Tehillim, Psalms chapter 115, part of the Hallel, we say, Hashemayim, Shemayim, Lashem. You remember? Hashamayim, the heaven, belongs to God. Earth, God has bequeathed to humanity. How do you reconcile these two verses? In chapter 24 of Psalms, the whole world, including earth, aretz, and everything that fills the earth, belongs to Hashem. Not mine, it's his. Later in Tehillim and Halal, he says, Hashemayim, Shemayim Lashem. The heaven is God's realm. Earth he gave people? How do you reconcile this? Who does earth belong to? Says the Gemara, Rebbe says, Loikash, there's no contradiction. Kan koidim bracha, kan la'acha bracha. One verse is referring to pre-bracha, one verse is referring to post-bracha. Before I make a blessing, before I take the peach or the grape and I say, It's God's who gave you permission. When I make the bracha, now now he gave it to me. That's what the Gemara says. It's difficult to understand, we'll soon see. 
if you benefit from this world without a blessing, it's like you're stealing from Hashem. It belongs to Him, and you stole it from Him. End of the discussion in the Gemara. Now, any serious student, right away, discerns that it's difficult to understand. The sages are teaching us here something. But what are they teaching us? How are we supposed to understand their message? If Hashem created the world, and He allows me to use it, and He does allow me to use it, He told Adam and Chava right after He created them, multiply, fill the world, conquer the world, you can rule over the animals and the beasts and the fish, etc. You're the steward of the world, you have to take care of it. But it's here for you to enjoy and for you to work with it and sublimate it, so then I'm not a thief. So he says, no. Before the blessing, it belongs to God. And once you make a blessing, suddenly it belongs to you. If there's property that really belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, and I come into the Beis HaMikdash and I make a blessing, I'm allowed to use it? He calls it theft from Hashem. So now let me ask you a question. If I come into your vineyard, and there's a beautiful, beautiful cluster of grapes, and I'm really hungry, and I would love to take one of those clusters, but it's theft, it belongs to you, you didn't give me permission. I have a great idea. I can stand up and I say, I want to thank Chaim Yankel Finkelstein, who created this vine, and who nurtured this vine, and who developed this vine. I am so grateful to him, and I eat the grapes. It's still theft, just because you said thank you, and you acknowledge that I'm the owner, it's still theft. You know, there's an old... It's an old great Jewish joke about this fellow who's visiting Israel pre-corona. And he sees this uh, wonderful orchard, exquisite fruits, and he comes in and he starts uh, eating the grapes. And the owner comes out to the porch and he sees a guy who's just standing at his, at his vine and just eating one grape after another grape and, and extolling its virtues and its exquisite taste. And he starts saying, who gave you permission? This is Gneva, this is theft. He's ignoring him, he's just eating more grapes. He says, I don't understand you. Haven't you learned Torah? One of the Ten Commandments is, Loi Signoiv, you're not allowed to steal. How are you not afraid to violate this commandment? And even if you're going to tell me, Loi Signoiv and Asaris Adib is talking about kidnapping people, but there's another verse that says, Loi Signoivu, you're not allowed to steal a person's money. This is Gneva, this is in front of me, it's Gzela. And this Jew is eating the grapes and he smiles and he says, Ah, there's no country like Israel in the world. You get to stand in Israel, eat delicious grapes, and in the meantime you even hear at Vartaira. You hear somebody giving you a speech in Torah while you're enjoying the grapes. Talk about somebody not getting it. What is the exact mechanism? If God gives me permission to eat from his world, so I can eat. If he doesn't give me permission, and it's considered theft, and it's his own property, what happens when I thank him? What's the exact halachic mechanism? And what do Chazal mean that before the bracha, the world belongs to God, and after the bracha, the world belongs to me? What happened? I thanked God, so now suddenly he says, oh, you said thank you, now the world is yours. What, what, what's the meaning here? What is the deeper meaning? We're changing the subject completely, but not really. The Gemara says in Gittin Daf Ayin Ches Amar Aleph, Gittin 78, Amar Rav Rav Tuat, 
tli gitech me algabe karka amar klum. If somebody tells a woman, if it's a couple who's about to get divorced, unfortunately, and he says to her, there on the floor, there's your get, your contract of divorce. Go take it. Go take it and obtain it. It's meaningless. And if she takes it, she's still not divorced. What is the meaning of this? So let's see how the Rambam, our great teacher Maimonides, 11th century Spain, 12th century Spain, and then of course Morocco, and then Israel, and then Egypt, where he passed away. Rambam Hilchis Geirishin Perik Aleph Halachid Beis. Rambam Laws of Divorce, Chapter 1, Section 12. We have it in the original Hebrew, the language of the Rambam, but I also put in here an English translation, so you could follow either. Get There was a get, a contract of divorce, that was placed on the ground. It was a kosher get. It was written well, everything according to the laws of the Torah. And the husband tells his wife, Pick your get up from the ground. And that's what she did. She went and she lifted up the get and now she's holding it. Or another scenario. It was tied to his hand. Maybe it was tied to his thigh. And then she takes it from him. She takes it from his hand. She takes it from his thigh. Even though after she took it. He says, this is your get. Ain't a get. This is not a kosher get. It does not work. It's void. They're still legally, halachically married. Why? Why? He wrote a get. He put it on the ground. He told her, take it. So this was with full consent, with full permission. He wants her to take it. He told her, here, take it. It's on the ground. It's not a get. Why? Shenemar. Because let's study the words of the Torah when it comes to a divorce. This is in Parshish Kiseitzi. Deuteronomy chapter 24, the Pasuk says, He writes to her a Sefer Krisus. A Sefer Krisus is a book of a divorce, a book that will separate them, that will sever the connection. Vinasan biyada means he will place it in her hand. Vinasan means he will give it, he will bequeath it, he will impart it, he will place it, v'nosan, nesina, to give. He gives it to her in her hand. What does this imply? Implying that she could not take it on her own accord. He gives it to her. And in these instances, neither the husband nor his agent gave it to her. He doesn't have to give it himself to her physically. He could. There's like many Jewish laws we learn out from the Torah. He could create a shliach to give it she can create a shliach to receive it, an agent to give it or to receive it, because the agent is considered an extension of the one who sent the agent. That's fine. That's like a longer hand. His hand stretches out through an agent. But he has to give it to her. Aye, the get is on the ground. It's a kosher get. They were witness. Everything was done fine. The document is perfect. And she gets it. So the end result is the same. He wanted to give her the divorce. She wants to take the divorce. He, pick, he puts it on the ground. She picks it up from the ground. It was with his consent. It's not good. It's not void. Well, one, one detail was missing. He has to give it to her. 
Now you're wondering, where's Rabbi Yeray going with this? We started off with making blessings. We just, we continue discussing vines in Israel. And now we're discussing giving a get. This is one small paragraph in the Hasidic work of Svasemes, written by Rabbi Yehuda Leib Alter, the second Rebbe of the Hasidic dynasty of Geru, passed away in 1905. And in Parshas Truma, this is a teaching that he taught in the year Tafresh Lamed Aleph, which would be 1871. It says, this Fasem, as the Gemara says, he's now going to quote very briefly the Gemara that we learned together from Brachas. As usual, he is very concise and brief and cryptic. What's bothering him, it seems to me, is what exactly happens as a result of you making a blessing? So he begins. The truth is, in every single thing in the world, there's Kedusha, there's holiness. It's not just there is holiness, it's like, you know, it's hiding somewhere. It's much deeper than that. The Kedusha is the Kaya Chapoyel. Kaya Chapoyel is a lovely term that's found often in Hasidic writings. Kaya Chapoyel Benifel. You have it in Tanya, you have it in many other Hasidic works. Primarily in Chabad Chassidus, it's, it's brought frequently, and the Svasama sometimes uses this phraseology. Kaya Chapoyel Benifel. Means the energizing power that gives everything its energy, its chemistry, and its substance. So he says it's not just there is kedusha in everything, there's holiness in everything. That is the kayachapoyal, the divine power that activates it, that brings it into existence every single moment, that sustains it, that maintains it in all of its complexities. We all know today that the tiniest piece of matter is alive. And that's why these ideas are so much, um, are so relevant today. And they could really be illustrated today, even from my secular scientific perspective, because there's no such a thing as a dead piece of matter. You know, inorganic matter is dead. It, it, in Hebrew, it's called daimon. Daimon means silent, not dead. It's silent. The life is not visible, but it's certainly there. When somebody is silent, doesn't mean they, they don't have what to say. When somebody's silent, doesn't mean they don't have an inner world of emotions. When Aaron loses his children, he says, Vayidoim Aaron. Aaron was silent. There was a lot going on in him, but he was silent. Sometimes the pain is too deep to express it in words. So Doimim, which is considered the lowest category of creation, Doimim is the silent realities, meaning where you do not visibly see growth and life, like in the world of vegetation, which is called Semeach, and the animal kingdom, which is called Chai, the human race, which is called Medaber. Doimem is alive, but it's silent. It's quiet. Unless you have microscopic eyes or tools, you don't see the dynamism, the vitality that is there, but it's full of vitality. It's full of movement. And everything in the world any category in the world is full of kedusha. It's full of holiness because it's not just it has holiness. That is the kaya chapayel. That is the energy that brings it into existence, that gives it vitality, substance, that creates its spiritual and thus physical chemistry every single moment. Viraka 
And through the bracha, through making a blessing, what is a blessing? A bracha is awareness. It's directing my consciousness, it's expanding my consciousness to the inner world of matter. Making a bracha is to live a conscientious life, to live an attentive life, to live in an alert fashion, to be sensitive to reality, not to take reality for granted. You're eating a peach, do you recognize what is inside this peach? What are the forces that had to come together to create this peach? We take it for granted. We take every tree for granted, every bush for granted. I take the squirrels outside for granted, the birds for granted, and the snow for granted. What did it take to create that flake of snow? From a pure scientific perspective, what did it take to create this droplet of water or this coffee bean that I'm enjoying now? Or you're enjoying now? What what did it take? So I can study it from a scientific point of view. I could study chemistry and discover its chemical compounds, which is fascinating and amazing. If you go deeper and deeper, you discover the kayach the divine inner electricity, life force that is responsible for the ecosystem and that is responsible for every individual, never every individual being and existence. What is a bracha? A bracha is attuning myself to this. Take any bracha. You're drinking a cup of coffee or a cup of water when you're thirsty and you say, Baruch HaTah Hashem, Eleikeinu Melech HaElam, Shahakol Niya Bidvarim. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, the energy of the universe, the king of the universe, for everything came into existence through his word, through his energy. In other words, you're revealing that the true reality of this water, or this coffee, or this apple juice, or this mango juice, or just to be fair, this celery juice, or kale juice, for those who are juicing this morning, it's a good morning to juice, is dvare, it's his dvar. And the same is true if I'm eating Something with the blessing of Bari Pri Hadama. I may be eating a potato or a tomato or a cucumber or a banana. I'm eating something with the blessing Bari Pri something with the blessing Shahakal or any other blessing, a piece of bread or a cup of wine, Bari Pri So the bracha is becoming aware of the Kedusha that exists here. This is divine. It's a manifestation of divine energy. Al Yideze Yuchal Hizgalas Hagdusha. That awareness allows the Kedusha to actually be exposed, be revealed. It's always there. Whether I make the blessing or I don't make the blessing. That's its true reality. But the question is how much it's manifested, how much it's revealed, how much it impacts me, and how much I'm aware of it. Shagam, what does it mean that the Kedusha is revealed? Shagam sheyana That even though the person is enjoying, this is a delicious piece of food, there's enjoyment. But the person should remain davuk, should remain connected to the kayach hakdusha in it, not to take the food away from what it really is, or in simple words, not to abuse the food, not to negate and deny the true reality of the matter that I am consuming now, to remain connected, to remain davuk with the true reality of this physical item. And what is this true reality? True reality is the holiness that is animating it and vivifying it and vitalizing it and giving it sustenance and existence at every single moment. As I wrote earlier in a previous piece the same year, which you probably said at the same Shabbos, 
Va'asuli mikdash. This is the deeper meaning. It says in the beginning of Parsha's Truma. And that's how it comes into this Parsha. Va'asuli mikdash v'shechanti b'saycha. Hashem says you should make for me a Beis HaMikdash. You should build for me a sanctuary and I will dwell among them. So literally it means take all of those physical items, the gold and the copper and the silver and the various wools and other materials and fabrics and together we're going to sculpture vessels and create pieces of furniture and build a mishkan, build a tabernacle, build a mikdash, a sanctuary, a holy abode for the divine presence. On a deeper level, the Svasemis explains... Va'asuli Mikdash is an eternal and timeless commandment in terms of how you contact, how you come in contact with everything in the world. Va'asuli Mikdash. From everything you should make for me a Mikdash. You should reveal the Mikdash, the Kedusha in everything. In every encounter, in every experience, in every piece of food that I take a bite, in every hike, every walk, every interaction, every aspect of life is filled with Kedusha. Turn this experience into a mikdash, into a place that it manifests my holiness. Reveal the koyach hapoyel benifel. To be able to allow this thing to be aligned with its higher power, an inner power that gives it its vigor and its existence. You don't want to live a life of dissonance a life of split personality, a life of, of, of a dichotomy, a life of, which is dichotomized, not with inside of you and not with inside anything of the world. What does it mean to live a world that's not dichotomized? A world of unity, a world of harmony is, to be able to see the harmony in everything, to be able to align everything you come in contact with, with its own inner substance and calling and destiny and function and design, which is its divine purpose, its divine energy, which gives it chiyus, which gives it life every moment. And what are the next words in the Pasuk? And then I will dwell among you. This holiness will actually fill your life and fill your home and fill your body. And then it's given to the person. And then God says, it's yours. What's the meaning? The Gemara tells us in Git, here we'll see everything coming together. If the husband tells the wife, take the divorce document from the ground, it's void, tixiv, v'nosa. The Pasuk says, v'kosov l'sefer krisis, v'nosam v'yad. What's prat v'nosam v'yad? Miyad liyad. It has to go from hand to hand. The husband gives it to the wife, from his hand to her hand, either from his physical hand or through his agent's hand. Or to her physical hand or to her agent's physical hand. But it goes v'nosam miyad liyad. Kain al yidei habracha. Through a blessing, where the person becomes aware, that this is all him, this is all his, it's his energy. And he doesn't just take it himself. Now the Pasik says, The earth he gave to people. If he just takes it without the bracha, then he's taking it on his own. And that's a whole very different experience. He is, he is using this halacha in Gitin, 
which seems like a very technical law about a divorce, a, a sad situation. But it reveals to us a thought process, a paradigm, that explains to us the whole concept of brachas and the whole sugya mesechta brachas. We have to realize that all of Torah is interconnected. So a discussion in brachas about making a blessing and the consequences of making a blessing is intricately connected with a discussion in mesechta gitin about the laws of divorce. But we have to understand the inner thought process and then we could see the combinations. So what was the issue there by the get? It says, V'nasan biyadam. I give it to her. I, you have to, he has to give it into her hand. If he says take it from the ground, it's a problem. It's not venosa. So now the Gemara says in Brach is a contradiction between two Pesukim. One Pesuk says, Lashem Aritzim Loya, the whole world belongs to Hashem. Another Pesuk says, Shemayim Shemayim Lashem Va'aritzim Nosem Livnei Adam. Heaven belongs to God and earth he gives to people. Nosem Livnei Adam. Is the earth mine or is the earth his? So Reb Levi said, depends if you made a bracha. <laughs> what do you mean, depends if I made a bracha? If I made a bracha, suddenly it belongs to me. He says, yeah. Nasan libnei adam, just like by the get, v'nasan b'yadam means, he gives it to me. If the woman takes the get, even though the husband gave her permission, he said, go take it, it's not a good get, because there has to be v'nasan b'yadam. V'nasan b'yadam means, he gives it to her. If she takes it on her own, it's not a good get. When it says Hashemayim Shemayim Lashem Varetz Nosen Levnei Adam, Hashem gives the Eretz to Bnei Adam. What does it mean? He gives the Eretz to Bnei Adam. It's His, and He gives it to me. That's very different than me taking on my own, and that's what a bracha does. A bracha makes me realize and makes me aware of the fact that every single moment God is giving me the world. Hashem is bequeathing to me. This very item that, that's filled with his presence, that's filled with his energy. It's all his energy, all, all his reality. And Hashem is giving it to me. That's what the bracha accomplishes. So that's why before the blessing we say it's theft. It belongs to God. You're just taking it. What happens after the bracha? What happens after the bracha is by becoming a weir. That there's a divine chiyus here, there's a divine energy here. There's a kedusha here. By becoming aware of that, that kedusha becomes revealed. So the Sfasema says, now what happens is, there's a venosan. What does venosan mean? Venosan means that Hashem is giving it to me. So there's two different models. One is I go and I take the world. What does it mean I take the world? Oh, I see a world. Oh, it's here for grabs. What happens now? I'm detaching it from its true reality. I'm detaching me from my true reality. The, what does the bracha say? The bracha says, no. There's a seamless fall. Baruch atah I know this is divine. This is godliness. And Hashem is giving godliness to me. And the same is true with me. <laughs> We make a bracha also on our own existence. Who am I? My essence is also divine. So God is sharing that with me. That's the v'nasan b'yada. That's the v'nasan l'b'nayada. Hashemayim shemayim l'ashem. In heaven, it's obvious that it's l'ashem. Ha'aretz nasan l'b'nayada. He gives it over to the person. What does it mean he gives it over to the person? 
Not that I grab it on my own. That I'm aware of the fact that God is involved in every single experience. He's giving me the energy. He's giving me the light. He's giving me the stamina. He's giving me the vigor. The very energy that I have every moment, this is a gift from Hashem. And the very food that I'm eating is His gift to me. And the very water that I'm drinking is His gift to me. And whatever I'm interacting with is a divine flow of energy God is giving me. God is giving me. He's giving me His light, His presence, His love. I'm receiving it from Him. It's v'nas adam. That's what a brach is all about. That's why He says, nasan is after bracha. If it's before bracha, then it's lakach me'atzma. Before bracha, a person, it's true, it's still God, it's still divine energy, but in my consciousness, I'm not in touch with that. So this is how the Svasemis understands the Gemara. If you take a look at his words, What does the bracha do? I become aware that it's from him. I'm not taking this on my own. Then you could say, Nasam libnayadam. The experience I'm having is that he's giving it to me. That's the Baruch HaTah Hashem Alekeinu Melech HaOlam Bairi Priya Eitz. Hashem is giving it to me. V'nosan l'vnei Adam. Ha'aretz nosan l'vnei Adam. Miyad liyad. From his hand, so to speak, right directly into my hand. That's what a bracha accomplishes. So the Gemara says, before the bracha, Lashem Aretzim Loya. It's not yours to take. It's God's world. What does the bracha do? The bracha does nasan l'bnei adam. I'm aware that he is giving it to me. It's a gift from Hashem. At this very moment, he is giving me this gift. In other words, the bracha makes me aware that the chiyus of everything is Hashem. It's not just my world. I'm not living in a selfish, narcissistic world. It's his world. The chiyus of everything, the chayus of everything is Hashem. It's divine energy. Ein oid mulvada. So the fact that I'm here and I'm existing is divine. The fact that this fruit existing is divine. And God is right now creating this and He is the chiyus of everything and that's what the bracha is acknowledging. So through the bracha I realize and I know that it's all from Him. I'm in touch with the gift of life. I'm in touch with the spirituality of life, with the transcendence of life. The nasal of adam. And he's giving it to you. Let's go to the next piece. The next piece opens up a conversation on the second Pasuk of the parasha, Truma Perik Hafei Pasuk Beis. Hashem speaks to Moshe and he says, Daber al Bnei Yisrael v'yichuli truma me'ez kalisha she'yidvenu libay tikhu es trumasi. Speak to the children of Israel. They should take from me a contribution. From each person whose heart is generous, you should take my contribution. This is from 1874, three years later. It's the famous question of the commentators. The grammar seems to be erroneous. He should have said, They should give me a contribution. Not they should take for me a contribution. They should give me a contribution. If I want to ask, if I get up to Nishul and I want to ask people to give charity to the poor, for Purim, for Pesach, I don't say, go and take charity. 
Go give charity. To the poor person, you say, take charity. To the person who's giving, you say, give charity. So why does this Hashem should say, He wasn't asking the Jews to take, he was asking them to give. They should give truma, contribution, lead to me, to Hashem, for, to build the Mishkan. It's not, they're not taking, they're giving. On the contrary, it's the opposite of taking. So this is an obvious question. So Rashi himself is perturbed by this. Rashi Rabbeinu Shlomo Yitzchaki, the 11th century great biblical commentator, Talmudic commentator from France, Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, says, They should separate from their money a contribution for me. That's why it says, Of course, the objective is to give it to me, but before you give it, you first have to take it. So if you have money in your bank account, you have to go and retrieve, take out money that you're then going to give for charity. So Jews had a lot of money. They had a lot of assets. So he said, let them go and take from their assets, from their money, a portion that will then be given to the Beis HaMikdash. So there's two stages in giving. First, you have to take. You have to take part of your money. You have to take out a few... You have to take out a check from your checkbook. You have to take out money from your wallet. You have to retrieve money from your bank account or assets from your home. And then you give it to the poor person because you're not giving everything. If you're giving everything, then you don't have to take. But you're giving part and you're leaving part. The Jews didn't give everything away. So the Yikhuli, Rashi says, They should be mafrish. They should separate from their money. They should take from their money a part, a nedava, a contribution, and then they will give it to me. This is how Rashi explains it, which answers the question, but it still leaves us wanting somewhat, because we all understand that in order to give charity, you have to take the money out of your pocket, right? If a poor person comes to me and asks me if I can give him a contribution, if I can give him a donation, give him a gift, I can't just give it, I first have to take it. So I have to go to my house, I have to open the drawer, I have to take out the checkbook, and then I can give it to him. We all understand that. In order to give, you first have to take it, you have to retrieve it. But why is that the focus in the Pasuk? The objective is to give, not to take. And yes, in order to give a donation, you have to take the money out of your wallet. I got that. But why does Hashem focus on the taking more than on the giving when the objective is the giving? Venira, it seems, It seems that this ability for a person to separate, to take something that belongs to him and segregate it and identify that this is for Hashem is more significant to God than the actual giving. Because as the Pasuk says, all money is mine. The silver belongs to me. Gold belongs to me. So what can you really give Hashem? What can I give him? Famous Pasuk in Chagai. It's all mine. So if it's all mine, what are you going to give me? You're going to give me something that's mine. So that's why the Svasema says, you know what's much more significant than the giving? Is the taking. The fact that you went into your bank account, the fact that you went into your home, the fact that you went into your money and your assets and you separated something and you said, this belongs to God, even before you gave it. That, in a way, is more significant than the actual giving. That's why it says, the focus is on the kich. What is the what is the what does it mean to take this generosity that a person 
take some of his items, some of his objects, some of his chafetzim, some of his assets, and he places it, he puts it down, he designates it for Hashem, that act of taking, this is more significant than the giving. Through this act of taking, it actually becomes uplifted and sublimated back to Hashem. V'nikra truma, and this is called truma. Kimi aloshamayim, as the pasuk says in Mishlei, who goes up to heaven? How exactly am I giving something to God? I'm climbing up to heaven. However, through the generosity of a person that I decide and I designate this to Hashem, so this becomes now uplifted. Truma is from the word laharim, to uplift, to elevate, to sublimate. You say lifting something up, laharim mashu, is to lift it up. So he says, this is called truma. You lift it up to heaven. How do you lift it up to heaven? You're going up to heaven. But the idea is that the person's consciousness, the person's generosity, that this belongs to the Rabbi Nishlam, this I'm giving away, this elevates this thing to Hashem. V'isa, the sages tell us, the Gemara says, in Beitza and in Gittin, truma tell us b'machshava. Truma could be taken through thought. could be segregated through thought. Meaning, the Gemara says there, let's say you have a, uh, a pile of fruits, a pile of oranges, and you want to eat. But the problem is the tithing, the truma was not yet separated. Halachically in Eretz Yisrael, when the farmer harvested his fruit or his grain or his vegetables, so to, uh, some percent of it, we'll soon see how much, but usually around 2%, you had to give to the Kayan. This was called truma. So the Gemara says you could do it even with your thought. You could look at the oranges and say, you know what? Those few oranges are for truma, and then you could already eat the rest of it. Even though if you eat something before you gave truma from it, it's called tevel. You're not allowed to eat it. It's not kosher to eat. But just the very thought, truma nitelaz b'machshava, the thought of it allows it to become truma. So the Svasama says, what is the idea here? It doesn't just mean a technical law that you could think that this is truma. It means that's what makes truma. It's all about machshava. Shadei machshava v'ratzen toiv nitelazim esrememes ad it's through your thought, your goodwill, that's what makes it heavenly. That's what lifts it up. In other words, everything belongs to Hashem. So if it belongs to Hashem, it's already divine. So why do I have to uplift it? The answer is, like we learned before, because we live in a world where that's concealed. So how do I reveal its connection to Hashem? It's all about my consciousness. It's all about my machshava. So he says, the act that you gave it to God, okay, it's already his, you gave it back to him. The biggest chiddush is the ve'yikcholi truma, that consciousness, that notion, that I'm aware that this is divine, that this belongs to God, that goodwill, truma netelazomachshava, it's a state of consciousness, that when I align my mind with the true reality of this world, of this physical item, that is what lifts it back up to heaven, that is what aligns it with its spiritual source. This mitzvah applies to everything in the world. To be able to identify the part that belongs to God. To be able to accentuate and make sure that there's a v'yikhuli truma in everything in the world. I have to ask myself, what part of this is being given to Hashem? The commandment to build for me a base hamikdash 
is not one commandment that the Jewish people had to take materials and put up a building. No. In every action, thought, word of a human being throughout his or her entire life, there is this empowering idea of How am I going to turn this action into a Beis HaMikdash? What does it mean? How am I going to turn this action into a Beis HaMikdash? I want to reveal and identify that which is divine here and align it with the divine. Utilize it in a way that it serves its divine purpose. The Isa, the Mishnah says in Masech Trumas, there were three types of people giving Truma. He says there's a good eye, there's an intermediary eye, and there's a, ba- a stingy eye. Ayin toiv, echad me'arboyim. Ayin beinani, echad mechamishim. Ayin ra, echad mishishim, echad misamach. How much do you give Truma? The Torah doesn't say how much. So let's say I have a hundred uh, oranges. How much do I give? So he says, I in toiva, if you have a good eye, you give one of 40. If you have an eye in Beninus, you give one of 50. So if you have a hundred, how many oranges did you give? Two. You give one of 50. 50 oranges, you give one. hundred oranges, you give two, which means 2%. That's intimate. I in rough, you're a little more stingy. Echad meshishim, one of 60. Not one of 50, not one of 40, one of 60. That's what the Chazal say. So the minimum is one of 60. Why one of 60? Why not one of 70? Why not one of 100? No, that's already too little. One of 60 you may, you passed it, you passed the bar. So he says, in Allah we have a concept and flavor of bitl b'shishim. When you have a ratio of 1 to 60, so the 1 gets nullified in the 60. So if you have 60 plus 1, classic example would be a drop of milk falls into the cholent pot, and the cholent is made of deli fleshiks, right? Are you allowed to eat the cholent or not? Or the whole cholent is not kosher? So there's a concept called bitl b'shishim. Bittel b'shishim, of course, if you could see the drop of milk, you have to get rid of it. But what about the flavor? So bittel b'shishim means that we assume that if it's a ratio from 1 to 60, the quantity of the meat was 60 to the quantity of the milk, 60 to 1, then it's nullified in the rest of the food. And because it's nullified, so there's no way that this milk is going to be manifested and tasted, and therefore you can eat the chalant. Of course, you don't do this initially, but if you do it, it's called bittel b'shishim. So this Fasema says, now we'll understand why Truma can't be less than 1 from 60. If you have 60 and you take 1, so now there's 59 left, that's fine. But if you have more than that, it's Nishgut. Why? Because what he's saying is, you don't want that the part of Truma should be less than a 60th, which means symbolically that it gets nullified in the external desires. If it's 1 of 60... Now it's not nullified. So therefore, the name of God can dwell on all of it. So the person's whole maisa, whole action can be elevated and sublimated. This is a very subtle idea. If the truma is, let's say, one of 70, one of 61, one of 80, one of 90, one of 100, so then, not just the majority of it is not truma, but more than 60. Right? If I take one of a hundred, so 99 of it is not truma. So the truma got nullified, bitl b'shishim. 
If it's already more than 60, it nullifies the truma. If I took one of 40, so then it's not nullified, the truma, because one in 40 doesn't get nullified. One of 50, it's not nullified. One in 50 doesn't get nullified. One in 60 also is not nullified, because there's only 59 left. For nullification, you need 60. One in 61 gets nullified. What does this mean spiritually? When you take truma to God, it's not to be yaitza, okay, I did a mitzvah with the money, now I can go uh, detach myself. No. The idea of the truma is that it redefines your relationship with all your money. Truma is just revealing how you view life. Do you view life, do you view yourself as a detached, small, external, brute, coarse person or do you see yourself and everything that you come in contact with for what it really is which is a flow of divine energy it's all part of God's oneness so is a commandment about every single thing if I'm eating breakfast or I'm eating dinner if I'm going out with a friend or I'm involved in a business interaction if I'm going on a hike or if I'm taking the telephone I'm answering the telephone or I'm going to the bank or I'm taking a trip if I'm stuck in traffic or I'm answering emails, certainly I'm ludaving, learning, doing a mitzvah. V'asuli mikdash. Everything, turn it into a mikdash. Reveal the kedusha here. Reveal there's divinity here. There's a shlichus here. There's a divine purpose here. There's oneness. Align your posture with its true self, which is infinity. This is what truma is. V'yikhu, and it's about the yikhu. You'll give it to God, of course. But it's your consciousness, your awareness that this has to be sublimated. If it's one of 60, you pass the bar. Because then there's 59 left. So the truma is not nullified in everything else. But if it's more than 60, he says, then the truma is nullified in Ritzayinus HaChitzayinim. What's Ritzayinus HaChitzayinim? Ritzayinus means external desires. External desires means desires that come from your external self and relate to the externalities of the world. I need attention. I need honor, I need glory, I need validation, I want this piece of, uh, this drink, I want this piece of food. These are external desires of mine. They're all covering up much deeper, deeper desires. They're not my real, real priorities. And they relate to the externalities of the world. Ratzin Hapnimi is your real internal desires, and it relates to the internal aspect of the world. We all have different desires. He said, but make sure that your inner desire doesn't get nullified in your outer desire. There's no bitl b'shishim. There would be the other way around. The outer desires, you need to align with the inner desires. So therefore, truma could be one of 40, then it's not nullified. One of 50, and even one of 60, it's not nullified. Rather than not being nullified, if the milk is in the chalent, and there's a very little chalent there, then the milk changes the chalent. It affects it. Now there, it's not a good thing. Here, it is a good thing. When the truma is less than 60, so the truma doesn't get nullified in the rest of your money. It redefines the rest of your money. It impacts the rest of your money. That your whole life is part of Kedusha. Once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe Avart, and he said, Mesechte Chulin is in Seder Kachim. In, in, in Mishnayis, Mesechte Chulin, the tractate called Chulin, which means the mundane, which deals with the mundane animals that a person eats, is also part of the section called Kachim, which is dedicated to Karbanas. Val Bayayid is Chulin Eich Adin in Kachim. Because by a Jew, Chulin is also part of Kachim. Everything is Kedusha, Vasele Mikdash. Kedusha is sometimes expressed as Kedusha, sometimes it's expressed as Chulin, but there's only oneness in the world. 
ein oid malvade. Chulin is oich adin in kachim. And now the Svasemes throws his last uh, bomb. He says, take a look at the end of the posik. I chose the Svasemes, these, these two last lines is something, something very special. He says, read the Pasuk again. It says, speak to the children of Israel. They should take from each Roma. And then, it's a little bit of a, of a difficult sentence. From any person whose heart will be generous, should you take my contribution? What's the Svasema saying? Pirush, the pos, what does the Torah say? Pirush, it means this. Mikol minei nidivus uritzoynus shenem tzoyen beleva adam yifrutrutruma. From every type of desire, from every type of longing, from every type of yearning and aspiration in the heart of the person, find a truma. Separate from it a truma. It's not the literal interpretation. Literally means You think the telephone ringing is going to stop? Okay. Doesn't only mean from every person whose heart will be generous. No. Means from every longing in the heart of every person. From the entire person. Not just from every person. From the entire. From everything that his heart desires. Find the truma there. This is a remarkable insight. In every desire that you have, there's truma. You have to find it in every longing, in every angst, in every aspiration, in everything you miss, in every craving, in every, in every feeling that causes you to gravitate towards somebody or towards something. Call ish. From the entire person, whatever his heart longs for, find the truma there. There is a truma there. There's a part of it that belongs to God. There's a part of it that's divine. Now you're thinking, Rabbi, why? Why? You don't know me. <laughs> there are longings that are not divine. No. He says, It's impossible. You are Kedusha. Kedusha is the essence of everything. That's the first Fasamas. Kedusha is the Kayach HaPayel. Sometimes the Kedusha is distorted. It's misconstrued. It's concealed. It's violated. It's misplaced. You have no access to it, consciously. But it's there. In every one of your longings, you'll be able to find Truma. You'll be able to find the divine dimension of it. You say, yeah, but I'm feeling fear and anxiety and I want to run away from my kids and I want to run away from my spouse and I want to run away from my family and I want to run away from myself and I want to run away from God. And even there, there's trauma. 
if you can peel away the layers and you can open yourself up to the full truth of your heart, you'll find that there is there's a divine, there's the God is there. There is a there is an innocence, there is a spirituality. I heard from Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, Rabbi Avram Yeshua Heschel Tversky, Zichrenel of Racha, who just passed away two weeks ago. We were once together at a Shabbaton in Boca for the Jewish Recovery Center. Hundreds and hundreds of people in recovery came together for Shabbos with their families. And I heard from Rabbi Dr. Abraham Tversky, as he was known as Ribshia Tversky, who was a psychiatrist, who was a doctor, who began the famous Centers for Addiction in Pittsburgh and many other places. And he said, I don't remember if he said this to me privately or he said this, or he said this at a lecture, but he said that the 60 years of his experience with addiction has taught him that addicts are usually the most spiritual people in society and because they're so spiritual, so the void and the pain that exists in their hearts, they can't just dismiss as meaningless and nothing. He said, all of us see hypocrisy. All of us find ourselves not being worthy or not fitting in. We all see corruption. We all have moments that we feel let down. But we know how to gloss over those moments. You eat a piece of kugel, a piece of herring, you go on a nice vacation, you get yourself a new phone, you watch a, a cute, whatever it is, and you numb it, you move on. And he says they also try to numb it. But their spirituality is too authentic and too deep, and therefore their longing and yearning for truth is too powerful that the regular numbers that we all employ don't work for them. And therefore they have to go to extremes in order to forget their pain, to forget their anxiety. The extremism of their addiction is commensurate with their deep longings for spirituality. That's profound. And it's true. So he says, it would be like it would say, from a person, from every person, from whatever his heart wants. There is the Mishkan inside of it. There is the Truma inside of it. Find it, accentuate it, retrieve it. It begins with yourself. You're feeling alienated. You're feeling depressed. You're feeling angry. You're feeling jealous. You're filled with hate. You're filled with disappointment. You're filled with stress. You're alienated. And you look at yourself and you feel guilty for feeling all these feelings. And the Svasemis is saying, relax, tikkos trumasi. There is Truma inside of there. There is Kedusha there. There is a part that belongs to God. God is inside of those feelings. What do you mean he's inside of those feelings? There are, those feelings are about God and they're negative. Even those feelings God is inside of them. You have to find it. Tikhu. It's not even about giving it up as much as it's finding it. It's identifying it. It's taking it. It's the ability to really be able to say that in every single thing there is a spark. And even anxiety is an alarm clock. It's waking you up. You're looking for something. And you're looking for something genuine. Most anger in the world is a secondary emotion which is covering up loneliness and pain. So if you go deeper, if you unravel the emotion, if you excavate the emotion, if you take away the external layers, you're going to find the truma, 
you're going to find the part that belongs to the Rebbe. Make sure it's 1 in 60. Better 1 in 50. Better 1 in 40. Which means don't let it get nullified. Let it stand out so that it could redefine all of your emotions. And then your entire life becomes aligned with your true self. And what is your true self? Your true self is, of course, that you are an ambassador of infinity in this world. An ambassador of love, light, hope, healing, authenticity, and redemption. Thank you very much. I prepared a third Tzvasem. As you know, I always have good intentions, right? Truman Nitalas B'Machshava. But uh, you'll have to do that on your own. But there's another incredible piece. We'll take some questions. Question number one. How can I make peace with myself when I've had so many expectations of myself and I never had the ability to fulfill them? You have to take truma from that too. That too you have to take truma from. In other words, where is the God piece there? And where is the ego piece over there? You've had so many expectations of yourself. Where, what, what are those expectations coming from? Are those expectations coming from because this is what God wants from you? Or are those expectations coming from because you may feel insecure or you need somebody's validation or you're having expectations about your life that you're not realistic? In other words, can you go deep into yourself and ask yourself, why? Why am I not at peace with myself because I had all of these expectations? What is it that's bothering me? What is it that I'm expecting? And when it's not happening, I'm disappointed. And then ask yourself, where is that expectation coming from? I'll give an example. In Tanya, chapter 27, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, writes that sometimes a person feels guilty because they have all these negative thoughts and feelings inside of them. Now they feel that that guilt is very holy. And he says, actually, the guilt is coming from arrogance. It's coming from insecurity expressed in arrogance. Because the person somehow has this expectation that my life is too perfect to be able to stoop down to these types of thoughts. Excusez-moi. Like, what, you're an immortal? Why not? Yeah, part of your life is that you deal with some ugly stuff. Your expectation is based on, a, on an egotistical experience, the Tanya says, that is forcing you into a trap and making you miserable for no reason. If you can embrace the fact that you have these emotions, and you could say, this is part of my truma. I serve God with these emotions. I have an emotion that may be very troubling, but instead of acting on it, I choose a different path. Wow, that's truma. You just took a very, very negative emotion and you gave it to Hashem. You didn't give all of it to Hashem in the sense it's still negative, but you used it as a tool to serve God by telling this emotion, okay, I get you, I feel bad for you, but I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Because I know that's not the truth. It's not even the truth of my emotion. So I think that's a much more wholesome approach because it's real. You don't have to amputate what you're going through. <clears throat> if, a, if a blessing makes me focus on the history and the development of the food and instills gratitude in me, why don't we make a blessing for new clothes, 
Why don't I make a blessing for my new car? Why don't I make a blessing when I go skiing? Why don't I make a blessing every time I walk into my house? And so forth. That's a wonderful question. So the truth is when you buy a new house or you build a new house, you do make a blessing, right? When we purchase a new garment, we make a bracha. Right? And as long as you're wearing the same garment, you don't make another blessing because it's the same garment. If you eat the same peach, you also don't make another blessing. Tomorrow you're going to eat another peach. You make a new blessing. So really blessings is not only on food. The reason why we don't make blessings when, let's say, we hear music or we, uh, or we go skiing is because a blessing is something that you take into your body. In other words, the ongoing blessings of enjoyments, Shechiyanu is a generic blessing for a new experience in life. But a blessing, Bayer Priha Eids, Bayer Priha Adama, Bayer Priha Gefen, right? Is something that you actually consume and it goes inside of you. In other words, it becomes part of you. So that energy becomes part of you. You want to make sure that you're in touch with the divine energy because that really makes you who you are. We are what we eat. When I put on my clothes, it also belongs to Hashem. I don't make a bracha. Okay, yeah, that's what we just discussed. Just because you made a bracha, it gives you permission to steal, I don't understand. There's a price. You have to pay money for it. I make a bracha on something from the base Hamikdash and steal it? Of course not. So maybe Hashem's price is acknowledgement and gratitude by way of a blessing so that you properly obtain the food by paying the price. In other words, that the bracha is actually the way we pay for the item. Yes, that's true. That's very nice. In other words, it's like paying for the item. It's like redeeming it. But what the Basfasemis here is telling us is something even one step deeper. And that is Nasan Libnayada. When I'm making a blessing, I'm becoming aware that God is giving it to me right now. Because it's divine energy. It's not a peach, it's divine. And the fact that I can take this peach, Hashem is giving it to me. Nasan. That's what a bracha does. Bracha is Bayre Priya Eitz. You know, Bayre is in the present. He's creating it right now. So he's giving it to me right now. That's the idea. So the bracha is the acknowledgement that there is a flow right now of a relationship. I'm in a relationship with Hashem. I'm not separate. It's not he says, oh, go take the fruit off the ground. Go take the fruit off the tree. That's not venasan. Venasan is, he's giving it to me from hand to hand, miyad liyad. And that's what a bracha says. A bracha is, baruch atah, you're the creator of the world, and you, you are bayre, not bara. There's an argument. Do you say he created it or he creates it? Do you say bara creates or bayre? So the Gemara discusses it. We say, Boire, he creates it. Creation is an ongoing event. So God creates it and he's giving it to me right now in order to eat. That's giving. There's no separateness. If there's no separateness, now you can, now you can eat it. It could be, he's also saying, one, one, it, it could be it's even one step deeper. The fact that He's giving it to me, and I'm just a channel to receive it. It means that it's not really leaving his property. Unlike a divorce, which it leaves him, it goes into her. Venasan biyada here, it's not leaving his property. In other words, I'm still in his property because the bracha acknowledges that I am part of the kedusha. So therefore, there's no real separation. So I didn't steal it from the beis hamikdash. I'm part of the beis hamikdash. <laughs> I think that's what the Svasemis really means. 
That's why he says that through you reveal the Kedusha inside of you and inside the food, so then you didn't leave the Beis HaMikdash. You're part of the Beis HaMikdash. It's like, so to speak, God eating it. Because you reveal that you're part of Hashem. Baruch Hashem I think that's, that's it's even a deeper step in what he's saying. It's not just that he's giving it to me, I'm an open channel, I'm receiving it, I'm not just taking it, right? I reveal the Kedusha, but it's that I didn't leave the Kedusha, I didn't leave the Beis HaMikdush. A rock is a daimim, it's quiet, but it's alive microscopically. Can this be said also of the dry bones? All physical matter, all physical matter. Is this something that we can attain practically to be aware every minute, all day long of this connection? It takes continuous concentration, continuously reminding yourself of the connection, something to strive for. The Pasuk says, Hashem It actually, it's a much calmer way of living. This is not about uh, suppressing yourself. It's a much calmer way of living. It's basically being aware that you're larger than your small, petty self. That you're a divine ambassador. So it's actually a very peaceful way of living. What about the blessing that we say after the food? Yeah, there's the blessing before, the blessing after. Blessing after bread is instituted by the Torah. Blessings before food, that's from the rabbinic sages. Is making a Beis the ultimate integration of a person with Hashem? Yeah, it's exactly that integration. Vasuli Mikdash means that I take myself and everything I come in contact with and I utilize it and I look at it and I behave with it in a way that turns it into a Beis HaMikdash, it turns it into a dwelling place that is a conduit for the divine reality. That's exactly what it means. What's the difference between the truma in everything and the spark in everything that waits to be elevated? Are they synonymous terms? Yeah, pretty synonymous. Can you give a more practical way, an example for us to take truma? What does it mean practically when you have depression, loneliness, anger, etc.? How do you take truma from depression, loneliness, anger? Good question. The first thing you do is you don't get angry with yourself for having those emotions. And you don't feel the need to deny them, crush them, suppress them, hide them. Because when you do that, actually they can't be released. They become more entrenched in your subconscious and they take root in the subconscious cellars of your psyche and they become entrenched in the deeper layers of your identity and then they leak out in all types of undesirable and toxic ways. So the first thing you do when it comes to depression, anger, envy, jealousy, hate, loneliness Don't right away start criticizing yourself for having those emotions or proving to yourself that you really don't have those emotions because you're too holy. And therefore forcing them into hiding, which basically means that they remain there for good, but only 
in a way that you don't have a handle over them because they're hidden. So that's step one. Create a space for them. Just create a space for them. Yes, they're here. They're here. And you know what? They're bothersome. <laughs> they're not fun to have. And 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 breathe 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 that in. You can breathe that in. You can you can feel feel those experiences, and you'll feel it in your body somewhere. You'll feel those sensations, and and, and create space for it. Okay. Number one. But that's not enough. <laughs> Number two. Tell yourself that they don't constitute your essence. They're inside of you. They're part of your story, but they're not your whole story. They're just a little fragment of your identity. They don't define your true self. They don't capture your true self. You are larger than them. They are contained inside of you. So they are telling one story of your life but your life has much more than their story. Your posture, as we often talk about, extends infinitely from the highest levels to the lowest levels. So they are just revealing one small, tiny dimension of your life. They may feel overwhelming. They may tell you that they are everything, but they're not. And you could say to them, you know, you could say, I'm here for you. This is something to look into. I want to become aware of what is going on, but I'm not going to define my entire identity based on this feeling. That's number two. And number three, if you allow yourself to get into it at the right time, you'll see that all of these emotions are usually covering up deeper yearnings and longings. And some of them are very pure and innocent and holy but they're becoming distorted and eclipsed by these feelings which are klipa, they're shells, they're husks. Like I said about anger. When I'm angry about when I'm angry at somebody, what is that? I'm usually in pain. But it's very vulnerable to feel pain. I have to say, I'm in pain. It's much easier to say, oh, you're an idiot. You're a bad person. You're horrible. I'm angry at you. I hate you. I don't want to have to do with you. It's much harder to go inside and say, wow, I'm feeling a lot of pain. But that's the place of healing. So these are different processes that will help you bring these emotions back to their source and find the truma in these experiences. The class helped me see the importance of saying a bracha and doing it in a new light. It will be harder to forget the way to say a bracha after this knowledge. Yeah, a bracha is a very, very powerful moment. It's a very, very special moment. There's a word from the Chartkev Rebbe. The Bisral of Chartkev, He says, the Gemara says, as we learned today in brachas, that, kol min bracha. He enjoys Olam Haza without the bracha, it's kilumal, it's mis- mis- misusing God's properties. So he said homiletically, The problem is that he enjoys the Olam Haza, he doesn't enjoy the bracha. In other words, when I'm eating a piece of chicken, or when I'm eating a salad, or whatever you're eating, you're eating a piece of cake, 
I don't know if you should be eating that or I should be eating that. You're eating an egg. I can enjoy the Elamhaza of it and I can enjoy the Bracha of it. The Elamhaza of it means I'm somewhat in a gluttonous space and I'm not in touch with the real food. Enjoying the Bracha of it means I'm enjoying the opportunity to reveal God's presence in the world through the Bracha. You're enjoying, like it would say, He's enjoying the Elamhaza, he's not enjoying the Bracha of it. He says, So he's taking it away from God because it's really God's, it's really God's energy. In other words, food is divine energy. So what's the, what's the real enjoyment of food? The real enjoyment of food is that it's a relationship with God. It's a relationship with the divine energy that I'm now absorbing to give me strength to be able to do what I have to do in life. So he says, don't detach the food from its true source. And that's what the Sfasemis is saying here. That the real essence of the food is the Kedusha of it. And that's the Nasan Lebnei Adam. When I acknowledge that, so then it's really an opportunity to get something from Hashem. That's what a bracha is. But if I'm enjoying not the bracha of it, I'm just enjoying the physical externalities of it, and I'm not davuk, I'm not connected to the Gdusha. So then he says it's kilomal, it's like taking it away from, from, from God's property. It's really God's property, and it remains God's property. He's giving it to you, it's still God's property. When I take it out of that, I detached myself and the food from, from the hektish, because it's really hektish. That's what the Chartkevah says. I wish everybody a wonderful day and a meaningful day and an inspiring a day and a day full of bracha, full of blessing. Thank you very much for joining us. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.